Oh, I get a clap? All right. Well, at least you're clapping and not booing. So that's good. So happy to be back. Um, you know, it's interesting when you're able to pull out of your regular routine, it sort of get your head on straight. It's, it's really helpful. Um, one thing since I've been back, I've just something I've been processing, you know, when you go to Aaron Affair or wherever, you hear Christmas carols. Have you noticed that? Um, that are talking about Jesus, the incarnation, um, the eternal Son of God taking on flesh, etc. And some people even might kind of hum them, right? And they'll be pushing their trolley, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it, it's familiar. But they're very rich biblical truths about who God is and who the Son of God is. Ironically, though, that said, we still live, I'd argue, We live in a culture today in 2019, here in Australia, that gives probably very little thought to the afterlife. Would you agree? To what happens after we die. If if you don't believe me, try bringing this subject up at your next Christmas party. (laughs) Right? Or just with a friend, and it will become awkward super quick. Or some people might dismiss that nicely and say, yeah, 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 look, 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 don't, don't worry about all of that. Stop talking and focusing on all of that. Just, we don't know, I mean, have you been to heaven? No, I haven't, so we don't know if it's real or not. And, and besides, just focus on the tangible things. Money, cars, having a holiday, looking after your family. That's what, I mean, come on. That's what you're supposed to, I mean, those are things that we can grab, that we can taste, that we can touch, that we can smell. For many, the idea of some afterlife is essentially a fairy tale. It's just stuff that maybe past generations believed in to help themselves through life. But, We've moved on beyond all that. We don't, we don't get tripped up with that weird stuff anymore. Now, it's interesting. If you were able to convince that person that, and maybe that's some of you, by the way, um, and if you were able to convince that person, well, what if there is an afterlife? And, and let me just say to you, stop for a second. What if, what if there is a real place where people go after they die. What if that's true? Well, if it's true, just for argument's sake, just roll with me. If that's true, how do you know you're going to the right one? (laughs) Well, I, I bet if I were to stick a microphone and walk around this room, and even if that's the position that you have to say, fine, for argument's sake, maybe there's a heaven, maybe there's a hell. Don't know, but fine, for argument's sake, I'd ask them, how do you get to heaven then? Be, uh, I guess, a good person, try to be nice, you know, don't hurt people. Uh, Yeah, look, I I don't know. I don't know how you get, I mean, I guess, so, so I, I want to ask them, so again, just for argument's sake, if it's true, and are you going there? 
I mean, I hope so, you know. I, I, I guess when you die, you just try to follow the light at the end of the tunnel, and I think my mom used to watch Touched by an Angel or something like that, and there was this, that was kind of the thing that I'm supposed to do, and yeah, look, I, I don't know. You know, the, the, the crazy thing is, Jesus is not that lax or ambiguous when it comes to talking about the afterlife, the realities of heaven and hell. He's very black and white about it. Only those, only those who have been born again will go to heaven. Only those who've experienced a spiritual rebirth, as it were, will enter heaven when they die. You see, the Bible teaches that if you place your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, you become a new person. It's not just turning a leaf. Some people will go to various programs sponsored by the government or whatever it might be, and they might be good and right and healthy programs where they say, look, I've, I've, I've become a new person. I'm not addicted to this substance anymore. And look, that's, that's actually, a, I celebrate that. I think that's a good thing. But that's not what we're talking about. It's not simply just saying, hey, just try to be a good person or try to be more religious. I think the average Aussie doesn't want to investigate this because they have a caricature of Christianity that they don't want to come to church because they think it's all smells and bells and judgmental people, right? So I'm not going to go to church. No way. But Jesus is very clear, friend. If he was here this morning, he would look you right in the eye and say, unless you are born again, you are never going to heaven. Do you understand that? It's very clear. That is the key, though. This idea of a spiritual renewal. And I don't know if you caught it when Renee just read the text for us, but there's that theme in this passage of rebirth. Did you see that there? This one is born again, born again, born again. Because I, I want you to see that, you know, we have Bibles there in the corner if you want to grab them. Like, this isn't just the pastor's opinion from America or, or whatever. Like, this, I want you to see this with your own eyes. Because if this is real, I want you to evaluate it and say, look, I got to make a choice here. If it's just... If it's just a bunch of hocus pocus, hey, forget it, right? If it's just a fairy tale, like, what do you, won't waste your time. I certainly wouldn't be wasting my time here. But if this is real, and this is true, it, give an honest evaluation in your head right now as, as, we, as we look at this together. So what I want to do is sort of park the car on these three points about rebirth. Number one, rebirth is essential for salvation. That's number one. Number two, rebirth is God's work. And lastly, rebirth is only possible, only possible through Jesus. That is faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus's work. So point number one, rebirth is essential for salvation. Point number two, rebirth is God's work. 
Point number three, rebirth is only possible through Jesus. I give you that as an outline because I have whatever ADD or ADHD and I go on all of these random rabbit trails. So you can have your map of where this dude is going, okay? So there's where, there's where we're headed. Now, that said, we probably should pray. So let's, let's pray and let's, let's look at God's word together. Lord, again, we thank you for everyone that's here. Every individual that's here is created by you. Every individual here has value and, and worth because they're created in your image. And Lord, as your word says, the man without the spirit cannot accept the things of the spirit because they're foolishness to them. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in such a way to convict and shine the light on Jesus' work that, they, that every person that's here, Lord, would understand what it means to be born again. And we pray that you would do a good work in their hearts. For your glory we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, look, I don't know how much you've read of the Bible. Maybe you haven't read any of the Bible. But if you do read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Jesus said some real shockers. Right? And he did some things that you may not think Jesus would do. I mean, but one thing that he talked a lot about was this idea of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and, and what it means to enter into it. Well, eventually, this piqued the interest of a key leader, a guy called Nicodemus who saw firsthand some of the things Jesus did and heard the claims he made about himself. And he's got stacks of questions. So he comes to Jesus, as Renee just read it, you might have heard it or, or followed it along. He comes to Jesus at night. Did you notice that? It's nighttime. Why do you think John indicated the time? Well, for a, a, there could be a couple reasons. It could be Jesus is a very popular guy, so during the daytime, people are crowded around him, and you're never going to get a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, so therefore, probably the best way is to, you know, go knocking here, you know, go knock at his place he's staying at that night, so you can have a little one-on-one -on -one with him, uninterrupted, could be that, or it could be, notice it says there that he's one of the Pharisees, one of the leaders, Maybe you have no experience with church whatsoever, but you know that, or maybe you went to Sunday school years ago, but you know this, the Pharisees equal the bad guys, right? You can hear the imperial march every time you hear the word Pharisee mentioned. Right? So if you're a Pharisee, you don't associate with this. The only time you're actually interacting with Jesus is arguing with him. You're not actually wanting to have a, a good conversation with the guy. So to associate with Jesus would actually be to identify with Jesus. So that could be an, one of the reasons. Another reason could be that John is sort of giving us this depiction of spiritual light and spiritual darkness, meaning Jesus is the light of the world, right? 
and Nicodemus is in darkness. Now, whatever the reason, whatever, and you can pick one of those, but whatever the reason, did you catch how it's interesting? It's almost like, without saying this, and I don't want to be offensive here, but it almost feels like Jesus is a bit eccentric. Like, you ask the dude a question, and he just kind of doesn't really, he answers your question in a very roundabout way. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, he goes, hey, uh, Jesus, we know, Rabbi, teacher, really respectful, um, we, know you're, we know you must come from God, because no one could do all of these things that you're doing unless God is with them. So, can you help me understand who you are and what, what you're on about? And then Jesus just says, he doesn't say, yeah, well, look, um, you know, in the beginning, you have God the Father and God the Son, and you know, he just goes, well, you know, unless you're born again, you're not going to go to heaven. Like, <laughs> it's not really what Jesus, it's not really what Nicodemus was after. Did you catch that? He goes, uh, you know, tell me, I'm trying to understand. We know that, again, you're not a bad guy. You do, it seems like you're doing some good things. You're saying some pretty radical statements, but, and Jesus just cuts straight for it. Unless you're born again. You see that there in verse three in John? So John chapter three, verse three, he says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, Already, I think you're catching there that first point that rebirth is essential for salvation. I mean, isn't that clear? That's not just my opinion. Rebirth is essential for salvation. Born again is an interesting phrase. It's, it literally means born from above. This means that something supernatural has to come down. In other words, the sovereign love and grace of God has to break through to create spiritual life. Within other religions, you still tracking with me? Within other religions, they'll often say something of this notion. You need to find the inner spark, right? Or you need to be a good person or whatever it might be. Jesus is saying, you need to be completely flipped upside down and have everything gutted out. It's, it's like a renovation. When you, if you've looked at some homes, sometimes it's like great spot, terrible house, drive a bulldozer through it, right? That's essentially, it's like a complete renovation here. Jesus is saying it's not, it's not just like turn a leaf. A complete new person. It, it comes from above. It, it doesn't come from some inner spiritual longing or yearning. This rebirth occurs when a heart is transformed. Talking about this idea of rebirth, about 500 years ago in Geneva, Switzerland, a man wrote about this rebirth. And he has a nice little sentence. He says it, he encapsulates it so well. And he says this, not the correction of one part, but the renovation of the whole nature. Did you hear that? And not, not the correction of one part, but the renovation of the whole nature. Now, again, I realize this still might sound kind of strange. Because as I was sitting here thinking about it, it's like, if you grew up in church, you kind of are like, yeah, 
I've heard that, born again. Didn't Billy Graham used to say that, you know? He used to be born again, you know, with his finger or whatever. And, and, and maybe that's familiar. Some of you are like, Billy what, you know? So Nicodemus is a bit confused himself. He shouldn't be, but he's a bit confused by this idea of being born again. Look what I mean in verse 4. Here's Israel's teacher, right? Here's sort of like the Bible answer guy of the day. And, and he's, he's perplexed. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see how he's, he doesn't get it? See, he doesn't understand? But really a basic knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, should give this guy all the information he needs. You understand that? It's not like he didn't have the brochure. He had it. He should know it. Then that's why Jesus points him, in the following verse, if you just track along, he points him to a, a famous passage in Ezekiel 36. He says, Jesus answered him, truly, I, I say to you, uh, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's referring to Ezekiel 36 there. And the big issue when Ezekiel writes, God's people are in captivity, right? And the reason that they're there, the nation of Israel, has to do with their sin and rebellion against God. I won't go into the whole long story of Ezekiel because someone already taught you that the last three weeks. But it has to do with their sin. And so only their sin has to be dealt with. Their sin has to be cleansed. And only God could do something like that, right? Ultimately, only God could take that away, which is why this rebirth has to be God's work. It has to be God's work. Look at verse 6, and you'll see what I'm saying. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Uh, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again, and, and look at God's, look at this picture of God's sovereign initiative in salvation. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So does with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's interesting. You see that clearly one must be born again, but the work is not... I can't stress this enough because it drives me crazy that I think that, that people have this idea of like, well, if I don't want to associate with Christianity or even explore it because I have to just become religious. And, and that's not what Jesus is talking about. You, you see, there's this idea of like there, your sin needs to be dealt with, right? You need to be transformed. Um, for all of you nerds out there that like theological terms, the word regeneration is the theological term. Regeneration. Um, that's the word for being born again. Wayne Grudem has a good book, Systematic Theology, and he says this, regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. I like that. That's helpful. Regeneration, Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology, is a secret act of God. You, you understanding that? I don't want to just blah, 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 like Charlie Brown up here. Regeneration is a secret act of God God's work in which 
he imparts new spiritual life to us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Or as Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I say all of that too because being born again is only possible through God first coming to us in grace. The reality is, friend, on our own, we would never come to God. Now, some people seek religion because their life is in shambles, right? They've been off the rails for 20 years. But others could care less because their life has been somewhat in order. They pay their taxes. Well, maybe they pretend to, right? They work, they go on holiday. But on, their, on our own, at the end of the day, forget, like I said, just ticking a box. On their own, on all of our own, we would never come to God on our own. Maybe it'd be helpful for me to read a verse about this idea of God regenerating people. A man named Paul wrote to Titus. Listen to this passage. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. Listen to this language. Slaves. Slaves. You're like, I'm not a slave to anyone. That's not what the Bible describes your condition outside of Jesus. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. That's why people break into your car and steal things. I'm serious. It's because they're slave to their own desires. That's why people steal your handbag. That's why people murder people for their wallet. That's why people bring guns into places and shoot others. Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You want to know why this world is often, I, honestly, you want to know why this world is as bad as it is half the time? It's because of this, friends. It's sin. And outside of God pursuing us, we're all of those things. But the verse keeps going. I know that sounds really dire and depressing. The verse keeps going. And listen to this regeneration talk. Ready? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. There it is. The washing of, think of born again, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Rebirth is God's work. It is God's work. Now, Back to Jesus and Nicodemus. This dude is still confused as to how a person can be washed and given life. Look at verse nine. And this is, I mean, he's like, like I said, he's the Bible teacher of the day, right? And, and Jesus corrects him, right? How can these things be? See in verse nine, and Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus corrects him for not understanding this. And Jesus asserts, look at the next few verses, he asserts his own authority as the true teacher of Israel. You see that? 
right? Why? Because Jesus has come from heaven. He is an eyewitness of what he's talking about. Look what he says. Truly, truly, uh, in verse 11, truly, truly, I, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then he gives this interesting phrase here, story, sort of evocation. And he says, you know, it's there in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what on earth is that about? Peter and Joanna Shaw, lovely couple, when they met, true story, Joe told me this, Peter picked up a snake to impress her and was swinging it around. Which, to me, to picture Peter Shaw swinging around a snake is funny in and of itself, right? And Joe was like, I said, so did that impress you? She's like, no. Did you see Peter? She's like, I thought he was weird. And, and, but that was Peter and Joe, and that was like literally, he was trying to impress her, you know, with swinging a snake. He wanted to be like Dundee or I don't know what, you know what I mean? Like he's swinging the snake around. So what's going on here? Mo, is, that, is that what, you know, Moses, is he like the ultimate bushman? You know, he just, I'll grab it. Look at the size of that snake. That's my Australian impersonation, you know? You know, and he's just, people in the States think I sound legit, okay? You might laugh at me, but you know. Um, my, yeah, it's dreadful, I know. So what's this about? Just as Moses lifted up the snake. Well, let, can I show you it? It's, it's an incredible passage that you can't miss. So, so go to the left in your Bibles, just quickly. Put a finger there. We're going to come right back to John. Go to Numbers 21, because I, I don't want to just tell you the story and have you be like, no way, I don't believe it. I want you to see it, because it is <laughs> it's really unbelievable, actually. It's probably one of my favorite stories in some ways. So what's happening, right? The nation of Israel. You guys know the story? Let my people go. There goes the Jews. What happens? They disobey. They send in spies in the land, we're not going, blah, blah, blah. And so then they have to wander around the wilderness for 40 years, okay? And as they're wandering around, they're, they're getting into all kinds of trouble and disobeying God left, right, and center. And, and this is what happens here in Numbers 21. So real place here, Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Okay, so again, real people traveling around in the desert, out in the bush, probably just as hot, honestly, as Alice Springs. And the people became impatient on the way. Happened, it's just, this is a repeated theme of the Israelites as they're wandering in the wilderness. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. And look what they said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is, this is an ironic statement, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Oh, come on, which one is it? There's no food, and we hate the food. Oh, really? Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Like, is that not full on? And then... God doesn't say, that's it, I'm just wiping you all out. He provides a remedy for them. That those that know they've been bit, 
can still be saved. Verse seven. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. You see that there? They know why the serpents are there. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, here it is, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So you see what's happening here. Just as the dying Israelites simply needed to look at the bronze snake set up by Moses to live, so today, all people, everyone in this room, needs to accept God's solution for their sin by looking to Jesus to save them. Look at what John says. Now it makes hopefully a little bit more sense. John 3, back to this conversation with Moses, I'm sorry, with Jesus and with Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. And eventually after the cross to his exaltation, lifted up that Whoever believes in him may have not just a, you know, a cure from a snake bite, but eternal life. Jesus believes, friend, there is a real place called hell that those who have disobeyed God deserve to go to. But he's provided a way by his own sacrifice and substitution in the place of sinners for those who will look to him to have eternal life. That is incredible news. I don't mean to scare you getting excited about it, but I can't help but get excited about that. The next passage starts with a four. Do you see that there? The next verse. The next verse begins with the word four, showing why faith in Jesus is necessary, which is our last point, that rebirth is only possible through Jesus. It's only possible through Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You understand this passage after we've sort of, under, we, it's coming on the heels that were of this gnarly story about sin being dealt with and snakes, right? You just saw it. And so it's not for God so loved the world because he just has like a high school crush on you. He just can't get enough of you. He just looks down and he goes, oh, oh, oh boy. I just, I love, I love, love, love. I just want to give them a hug. Every day I see him, every day I see him, I want to give him a hug. Yeah, and look, there's part of that that's true. But God, you have to understand, God so loved in this way 
It's not just a love that he's kind of like, he wants you to feel gushy inside and he just wants you to know that he's just crazy about you. He stalks you on Facebook. That's not the kind of love that this is talking about. Death had to be dealt with. Jesus had to be nailed to a cross because of your sin and my sin. But God loved you through that. Do you understand? God loves you not because you're special or even worthy of his love, but he loved you at the cost of his son to send him to die in your place. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has acted in love in order to rescue sinners who had rebelled against him. And that's why we'll close with the last two verses. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And listen, friend, remember what I said to you in the beginning, if this is true, weigh it. Ready? Whoever believes in him is not condemned as of now. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Where are you at today? Have you been born again? Have you experienced this spiritual rebirth? The only way you can be assured, friend, that you're going to heaven is that you have been born again. We're going to take a time of communion in just a moment. And after that, we get to hear not only, because we sort of hear this idea of being born again, now we get to see a physical, tangible reality of that with the baptism of Roz. And she's going to be able to testify the fact that she is born again and that God has done that. And so, for those of you that are saying, yes, I am presently trusting in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. Not something that you ticked a box like 20 odd years ago, but something right now. This is a time, friends, where where we call it communion or the Lord's table, where we celebrate. These are elements up here. This is just bread and juice, but these elements represent something. They represent Jesus' body nailed to a cross his blood poured out for sinners. And so if you identify with Jesus and have been saved, this is a time for you to celebrate and remember that now. If you're here and you're not a Christian, look, I'd encourage you, please come talk to myself or Rob Wright or really probably a lot of the people that brought you or people sitting next to you. We'd love to have you understand what it means to become a Christian. But this part of the service actually is not, it's actually not for you. It's actually not for you to participate in until you've been born again. So that said, I'd ask the helpers to come forward and distribute the elements of the, do we have them? Yes, somewhere? Normally they're over there. There's water. Oh, right, hello. Hello.